Welcome to SCOTUScast, a project of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy Studies. Our contributors join us from around the country to bring you expert commentary on U.S. Supreme Court cases as they are argued and decisions are issued. The Federalist Society takes no position on particular legal or public policy issues. All expressions of opinion are those of the speaker. Thank you for joining us for this post-decision episode of SCOTUScast. I'm your host, Spencer Karen. On June 3, 2021, the Supreme Court decided Van Buren versus United States. The issue before the court was whether a person who is issued to access information on a computer for certain purposes violates Section 1030A2 of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act if he accesses the same information for an improper purpose. In a 6-3 opinion authored by Justice Barrett, the court reversed the ruling of the Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit and remanded the case. The Supreme Court held, quote, An individual exceeds authorized access under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act of 1986, Section 1030A2, when he accesses a computer with authorization but then obtains information located in particular areas of the computer, such as files, folders, or databases, that are off-limits to him, end quote. Justice Thomas filed a dissenting opinion in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Alito joined. Oren Kerr, professor of law at UC Berkeley Law, joins us today to discuss this decision and its implications. Van Buren versus the United States is the Supreme Court's first engagement with the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, a law enacted in the 1980s that basically prohibits computer hacking, at least that's its core function. And the big question in Van Buren was just how far does this statute go? Uh, The law makes it a crime to access a computer without authorization or to exceed authorized access on a computer. And the question was whether this law made it a federal crime for Van Buren, uh, a police officer, to access a government database that he had an account for, for a reason that he was not allowed to access it. So Van Buren uh, was given access to a sensitive government database and was told he could access it only for Uh, official reasons, and instead he accessed it for personal reasons. He was actually taking a bribe from someone to look up uh, data in the database uh, for personal reasons. And Van Buren was uh, uh, charged with bribery uh, for that, but he was in addition charged with uh, violating the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act for exceeding authorized access to a computer. And the question in the case boils down to whether Van Buren was in fact exceeding authorized access under this statute. Uh, That turns out as a defined term, exceeds authorized access under the statute is defined as to access a computer with authorization and to use such access to obtain or alter information in the computer that the accessor is not entitled so to obtain or alter. And the question that the court takes on is, is whether basically breaking the rule, uh, Van Buren was given access to this database, but told only access, access it for, for business reasons, um, uh, whether he violated this law, a federal crime, by enacting it, by accessing it for personal reasons. The Supreme Court rules six to three in an opinion by Justice Barrett that this did not violate the law, that this was not exceeding authorized access. 
The court's primary means of figuring this out, of determining that Van Buren did not violate the CFAA, is a very uh, uh, a detailed textual analysis focusing primarily on the word so. Uh, and so let me go back over the definition here of exceeds authorized access and see why the word so was seen as so important. The term exceeds authorized access is defined to mean, quote, to access a computer with authorization and to use such access to obtain or alter information in the computer that the accessor is not entitled so to obtain or alter. And so the dispute between the parties really boiled down to what does so mean? Um, uh, uh, does so mean some very different uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, access than access without authorization, which was sort of understood to mean like hacking in, basically, um, somebody who you know bypasses a password gate or something like that. Um, the government said, well, that definition of exceeds authorized access basically means you broke the rules for what you were allowed to do once you had authorized access. Um, and Van Buren said, no, that actually means sort of hacking in as well to a part of the computer which is off limits to you, um, and therefore that exceeds authorized access is narrower. And the court um, offers a very um, uh, detailed uh, explanation of why it interprets the word so um, uh, Van Buren's way and not the government's way. There's also a very detailed explanation and discussion between the majority and the dissent by Justice Thomas about what the word entitled means. Um, and, and, and so the, 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 the word so, you know, what does so mean goes on for pages and pages of discussion um, as to what that might mean. The court also offers, in the majority opinion, um, a discussion of sort of how the practicalities of this might impact the court's interpretation. So a lot of the commenters, myself included, had, had looked at the definition of exceeds authorized access and said, well, that says nothing. That's completely circular. Um, it just says exceeding authorized access means to have authorization and then to do what you're not allowed to do. Well, what does that mean, not allowed to do? Not allowed in what sense? Is that breaking in or is that just violating some rule? That's what you know, a lot of us thought the case was about. Um, and if you take the government's view, then basically there's no way of interpreting the statute um, other than it's incredibly expansive because the statute just prohibits exceeding authorized access or accessing without authorization a protected computer to obtain information. Basically, every computer in the world is a protected computer. So, so that's the entire you know, criminal liability could attach to somebody who, for example, violated terms of service on a computer or visited a website where they impose some sorts of rules on what you're allowed to do or not allowed to do. It doesn't need to be an important limitation like there was the case in Van Buren. It could be a completely frivolous, absurd limitation. You can't live, visit my website unless your middle name is Frank or something like that. And the person could be um, essentially held liable for uh, hacking into the computer otherwise um, uh, 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 under the government's view. So the, the, the court says, well, we're not being influenced by this. This is sort of icing on the cake already frosted in the court's term, taken from a Justice Kagan dissent in another case. Um, uh, and the, the majority says we are, though, we note that the government's interpretation would lead to an incredibly broad statute. And it seems unlikely that Congress had intended to you know, sort of make everybody a criminal um, uh, and, and so the court adopts the Van Buren's interpretation uh, 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 and, and rejects the government's interpretation. Now, what does this case mean? Um, so this is um, the court's first decision interpreting the fundamental 
the, uh, interpreting the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, and it really um, is an important first step in trying to understand what this prohibition is. So the law, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, is basically a computer trespass law. It violates, it, it prohibits some sort of breaking into computers. And the big question is, well, what breaking in counts? Is that is that only like bypassing some sort of password gate, um, breaching some sort of code-based restriction where the law says, you know, you, you can't get in, you run into, you know, let's say you wanted to read somebody else's email, you, lo- you know, go to the username password and it says enter in the password and you say, well, I don't know the password. Um, and if you do know the password and you're not supposed to or you guess it, that's like picking a lock into someone's house and that's, that's clearly covered, that's sort of traditional computer hacking. The big question is what about all the other ways in which a computer owner might indicate that they don't want you to do something. Um, do words matter or is it only code that matters? And and Van Buren um, goes a long way towards limiting the statute without really taking a strong stance on whether the loss is limited to sort of traditional hacking or whether it extends to um, some sort of uh, 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 word-based or contract-based uh, uh, limit on what you can do. And here's why. The, the court um, accepts Van Buren's interpretation that the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act is really about not having rights to do things of certain uses of computers being off-limits, that the, the statute is primarily focused on hackers, that authentication matters. Um, there's all this language in the court's opinion which suggests that it's really about hacking in, that that's what liability under the statute is really about. And yet, the court in a footnote says, we're not answering, we don't need to answer, we're not answering, um, whether liability hinges only on circumventing a code-based restriction or if it also looks to policies or contracts. That's a little bit of a puzzling limitation because a lot of the language in the case seems to be strongly hinting that actually what the court is saying is this Computer Fraud and Abuse Act says you can't break in, you can't hack in, but it doesn't prohibit by breaking a promise online. Um, uh, it, it's about breaking in, you know, sort of technological harms rather than just breaching some sort of rule. Um, but the court says it's not taking that question on. It's not answering that. So what, what are the kind of issues that might be left open? So the, I think a natural fact pattern that comes up is imagine... Um, you're uh, a law firm associate and uh, you have access on your law firm server to um, client files that are confidential. And let's say you've got a, you know, your firm has a famous client, a famous actor or something like that. And you're, you're not working on that matter, but uh, you, the law firm associate, you're curious to see what might be on those files. And so you click on the links and you go through um, the various folders and you look at client files that you're not supposed to look at. Now, you had access to them. They were on the server. You just clicked on the links just as if you had access. But you were told you're not allowed to access files um, at all that are matters that you're not on as an associate. So what's left a little bit open, I think, in Van Buren, is that a violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act? So the court talks about the inquiry being a gates up or down inquiry and says, well, you know that you can't um, you can't access parts of the computer that are off limits, but it doesn't directly say what makes part of a computer off limits. If if the computer owner, or in this case the law firm, says to you, you can't access that folder, does that make the folder off limits to you, 
or is it off limits when they password protect the folder and um, uh, uh, that's the gate coming down uh, and 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 that would be sort of breaking past the password protection, um, a password gate would be what makes you liable under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Of course, either way, you could be liable under different laws. A lot of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act prosecutions that don't involve this core of breaking past a, a password gate um, will will nonetheless involve other criminal laws. You could, just, just like Van Buren was charged with bribery on a services fraud uh, 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 involving bribery, just like he was also charged with the CFAA. Um, but what does the computer, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act actually covers left a little bit un, unclear. Um, it didn't really need to be addressed in this in this particular case, but but there's still there's a lot of language that suggests that the 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 new decision is is going to limit liability to breaching code base restrictions. Uh, but it's not um, th- there's left there's matters left open on that that's uncertain as the the, the footnote i mentioned uh, leaves that open um what what makes it tricky I, what, what i think will happen going forward is you're going to have cases where um you know the the defense side uh whether it's uh coming in a criminal defense situation or civil defense because the CFAA also has civil remedies um they're going to latch onto this language involving gates which certainly suggests like a password gate uh, language where the court says that the statute is focused on hackers. Um, they're going to focus, you know, that that's sort of the part of the decision. There's a lot of language in there that's going to be very useful for litigants that are saying, hey, this statute is only about um, breaking in, uh, uh, breaking past the password gate. Um, and then the other side will talk more about sort of what makes things off limits. Um, off limits, the idea of something being off limits, a lot of times that kind of evokes being told something is off limits, you know, a sign that says this this government installation is off limits. That's usually something that's indicated by words. So there's going to be a lot of, uh, I think, litigation going forward of exactly where does this this take us. But I think that the case as a whole is is very important for limiting the scope of a statute, which otherwise sort of was beginning to just sort of take over all litigation. Um, involving business-to-business litigation, you know, sort of all adverse parties in the, in the following sense. The statute says you can't access without a computer without authorization or exceed authorized access. And if you interpret that to encompass all rules, like all terms of service, then that means that anytime one person looks at someone else's website in a way that the first person, the owner, doesn't want, that's a potential Computer Fraud and Abuse Act case. And in fact, even though the CFAA is a criminal statute, most litigation under the CFAA by far has been civil litigation, usually business-to-business litigation involving two parties that don't like each other or two business competitors. Hey, you looked at my website. I put up terms of service that said you can't look at my website or my competitors can't look at my website. Um, uh, And so um, I think the first and most important effect of the Van Buren decision will be to cut back dramatically on the use of the CFAA in these civil cases where basically the CFAA was used as a way of getting a federal cause of action, which gets you into federal court whenever something involved visiting a website, which in our modern era, basically, you know, everything involves visiting a website at some point. Um, so, so Van Buren is going to, I think it's going it, to, it's narrowly construing the statute to focus on the, the kind of core criminal law um, concerns uh, that, that motivated the statute. But exactly where the lines are going to be drawn is something that the lower courts are still going to have to figure out.
Thank you for listening to this episode of SCOTUScast. SCOTUScast is a project of the Federalist Society, a not-for-profit educational organization of conservative and libertarian law students, law professors, and lawyers, founded upon the principles that the state exists to preserve freedom, that the separation of governmental powers is central to our Constitution, and that it is emphatically the province and duty of the judiciary to say what the law is, not what it should be. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast series, including SCOTUScast and Practice Group Podcasts, on iTunes or Google Play. For an archive of past podcasts, as well as audio and video of past Federalist Society events, please visit our website at fedsoc.org multimedia. That's F-E-D-S-O-C dot org slash multimedia. This has been a FedSoc audio production. 